You can actually start building your Kickstarter, but not make it live. Yes. And so that really helped me because you can actually get collaborators. I can say, oh, Matthew, come look at my Kickstarter and tell me what was wrong. And people were like, you misspelled this, you did this, this doesn't look correct, uh, you forgot. And so I went back and fixed all the copy because it's important, in my opinion, to give a finished, polished uh, presentation. Hello, I'm Jim Fox, and welcome to the Loom Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live. This is the first of a two-episode series discussing the process of running your own Kickstarter project. This is a roundtable discussion with three guests who have each ran successful Kickstarter projects. If you've ever wanted to start your own Kickstarter project, we hope that these two shows will provide you some direction, tips, and lessons learned from creators who've already gone through the process. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about a website that has helped to revolutionize the maker movement, Kickstarter.com. With me today are three different makers, and all of them are owners of successful Kickstarter campaigns. Our first guest is Eric Brown, the face of a company called Gnomeworks. His project has been funded at over $22,000 with, 20, with 200 backers. Welcome to the program, Eric. Hi. I'm glad to be here today. Our next guest is, work with me on this one, Ade, Ade Lucy, Ade Louie. Did I get it right? Perfect. Very good. The man behind a line of smartphone docks called the Sarvi Dock. He has had four Kickstarter projects totaling over $150,000. Welcome to the program, Ade. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And our last guest is Matthew Fiedler. Did I get that right? Perfect. So far, so good. One of the co-founders of a large format 3D printer company called Re3D. Re3D has had two Kickstarter projects and one on the way with total funding of over $300,000. We are recording right now in, in his studio at the Re3D headquarters near Webster, Texas. Welcome back to the program, Matthew. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Good to have you all around here. It just occurred to me this morning that we have close to half a million dollars in funding at the table. That's crazy talk. So Kickstarter is really uh, really making a big difference in this. Uh, go around the table and give like a 30-second elevator pitch of each of your companies and each of the efforts you're behind to kind of let the audience know who you are. Um. Yeah, this is for Gnomeworks. Uh, we provide uh, high quality wooden uh, gaming accessories uh, for uh, RPG. Uh, really, you're looking at uh, whether it's D&D or uh, Pathfinder, those types of things. Uh, you have to carry your dice, uh, you know, a roller, as well as, um, you know, some uh, trackers that I came up with uh, to help, you know, basically make it more enjoyable. Very good. Addict? My name is Adiwale, and my company is Savvy Designs, and the project we have on Kickstarter is for Savvy Dock, and it's essentially a universal smartphone dock that focuses on cases. We have, we have these phones these days that are very fragile, but then when you put a thick case on it, you can't find a charging dock it works on. So we actually designed this with a case-centric design in mind, so any case you have with any device, and we also included cables for three most popular the Apple Lightning, the USB-C, and the micro-USB. 
so you don't have to use your own cable. So it will, it will work with any case, work any device, tablets or smartphones. Very cool. And Matthew, uh, you were on our uh, episode nine, I think it was, uh, from the Maker Fair. But go ahead and give a recap of who you are and what you do. Sure. So uh, Re3D is a full-service additive manufacturing company that not only creates the largest affordable industrial 3D printer, uh, but we're also providing print service for those people who are not yet in the market for a 3D printer, as well as education training and consulting with big brands on how do you integrate the technology into your workflow. Very cool. So all three of you guys have had uh, um, successful projects and well-funded. Uh, it's, it's a little-known secret here that uh, the Loom Innovation Podcast has been uh, sponsored by Pazometry, all of these episodes, and Pazometry is me. I've done that. I've had uh, a, a project or two on Kickstarter as well. So together amongst all of us, we're, I think I added up, and it's somewhere close to $497,000 with all, all of our Kickstarters added up together, and that, that's crazy talk. That's making a big difference in, in the maker community. Uh, let's uh, throw out the softball question. Who wants to tackle this? What is Kickstarter, the very basic top level for the beginner? Um, Go ahead, someone do, jump in. Yeah, so Kickstarter is this awesome platform. We've used it twice at Re3D, and uh, it's, it's a way for you to crowdsource your funding. So traditionally, before the advent of Kickstarter, uh, you uh, have an idea, you want to create a product, you want to create a business, uh, you would have to go to the bank, get a loan, uh, particularly in, in the field that we work in, in the hardware field. So we're, we're a hardware manufacturer, and we love to build machines. Uh, we would go to the bank, get a loan, and say, hey, I need half a million dollars, I need a million dollars, uh, I'm going to go out, and you, and you type up this old-fashioned 30-page page business plan, and, and you sit there and you sweat a lot, right? And you may or may not get the money, uh, and when Kickstarter come around, it uh, really disrupted that model uh, by allowing people to go to uh, the public and say, hey, uh, they're not going to the banker, they're going to the public, and, and I have this idea, and, and I want to create this product, I want to create a business, I want to provide a service, whatever it is, and if you support me in my endeavor, uh, I'll promise to give you uh, this reward. The reward could be a product, the reward could be, uh, it could be a film, a book, a toy, uh, a tool, whatever the case may be. And so the general public says, okay, you know, they're, they're credible, and, and I'll take a chance, and I'll pledge some money. Uh, and at the end of 30, 60, however many days your Kickstarter campaign runs, uh, you uh, either meet your goal, your funding goal, uh, and say, hey, excellent, the project's on. Uh, now we start producing uh, whatever it is we're going to reward our customers with, and then you deliver that reward to your customer. Because and so it's an amazing uh, opportunity for people to start with uh, crowdsourcing your funding to start your business. You guys got anything to add to that? Here? Another great like aspect it? of that, apart from helping you to raise the funds, it also helps you build a base in the market. Yes. It also brings it everybody who supports you, brings them along the process because typically when you go to, when you buy stuff from an, from an Amazon or Best Buy, you don't know what goes into that product. You don't know what the pitfalls are, what the successes are. When, you, when people support you in Kickstarter, you can take them along for the ride. And these are the early adopters. Yeah, it is now, its own kind of form of social media. Exactly. Just the the great thing itself. about that is that you can keep on adding to that base mm -hmm. as long as you're successful and you're delivering and keep on going. Indeed. Eric, what, what have you got on that? Uh, you know, one of the things that, that I looked at Kickstarter is, is kind of like, uh, you know, you have an idea and you want to test it out on the market, see if the market's really, so it's a, to me it was like a market tester. So it was like, yes, yeah. um, I got something, I got a widget A, do people <laughs> want it? And, and you know, it, it's interesting because actually I just finished the Kickstarter and I'm finding out that one of the add-ons I thought was going to be hugely successful 
nobody cares about. I had some of those. So you're yeah. like, you're going, wait a minute, I thought you would want that for just a measly $25. And, and instead, it, so it's kind of like you get to look into the mind of the market, which is extremely important without having to do tons of focus groups and, and all that. Yeah, well, some of the notes that I put down as an answer to that question was uh, it connects makers to customers uh, mm -hmm. in a way that probably no other marketplace does. And it also, maybe more importantly, is it democratizes manufacturing and distribution and sales. So it, it kind of evens the playing field that a small one person working in his mom's garage can in some ways compete with a Walmart or a Hasbro or something, right? So it, it's a way to kind of even the field a little bit uh, and allow small guys to play in a market that has previously been dedicated only for the big people. Well, if you think about it, how else would you get the exposure, right? Yeah. If you're that guy in the garage, as I was, uh, tinkering and making, uh, how do you get that exposure to the larger field? And Kickstarter has, has done that. So it's a, an international platform. Absolutely, it, it it's, definitely is. It's really been amazing because if you think about what he just said, we were all saying enough, either you had a little business or you were in your garage, you had an idea. You, it gives you a platform where you can actually be exposed to the whole world. We have products that have shipped to all the continents yeah. amongst yeah. all four of us here. Yeah, yeah, I've shipped to 21 countries and it's, I know you went to more than that and you guys probably have as well, right? Yeah, you were 30 countries? Yeah, we're up to 53 now. 53, yeah, okay. So yeah, we're, we're definitely covering every part of the globe with our little nickel and dime show that we're doing here in Clear Lake, Texas, right? So um, it's, it is definitely a democratizer. Uh, and also um, with ref reference to the bank situation, when you get a loan from a bank, you have to start making payments yes. immediately. When people pledge and they're early adopters, you don't. Your duty is to make sure you deliver the product that you. Promised. Yeah, we're going to talk about that as uh, hopefully we'll get to that again. But there is definitely this is different than venture capital and some of the other fundraising methods, and we'll talk more about that as we go along. But before we get deeper into that, can someone uh, a totally wide open question? Give an example of some of the things or types of products that are on Kickstarter. What are what are possible product types or product categories? That's everything. Else yeah, that's everything. You know, what, if you look, what was interesting, I always look at most funded just to, you know. You know. <laughs> it's fun to see those $15 million yeah. projects. Right? Yeah, and, um, you know, the one of the ones is a game, you know, that, that I backed and uh, King of Death. And then, but if you look at like the top one, two, or three, um, one was like a, an eye, uh, an eye pebble. watch, but it wasn't a pebble. pebble. Yeah. Was, and, and they've had two of them in the top three right. most funded. Yeah, so they, they've done it extremely well. Um, but there's, uh, you know, I mean, movies get funded that way, tools like garage tools and stuff like that, and your 3D printer is, is a tool. Um, there's software, there's games, there's books, there's movies, there's uh, iPhone products, there's, I mean, you name it, the f there's fashion. I know there's people doing uh, also uh, news type things with media. Uh, go ahead, what was your thing, Eric? Uh, probably the one that I saw that, that stuck with me the most, and I almost did it, but I didn't. It's a gentleman who uh, uses magnets and sand and uh, basically uh, ball bearings. And he, it makes symmetrical, I mean, it was like one of those things, I almost bought it, but he did like a little end table or a coffee table. It was just beautiful art that, you know, he would personally make your bar or make your, your uh, table and, and, you know, get it to work. Yeah, art is definitely all over the place. There's design, uh, design products out there, there's software. In fact, uh, we just, a couple weeks ago, we went to see a movie called Loving Vincent that was initially funded on on Kickstarter in 2014 is just now hitting the theaters. Oh, wow. So, you know, that, that was another thing that's that's now nationally distributed. Go ahead, you know, Every time somebody asks me the question of what can you get funded on Kickstarter, I've learned to tell them you can fund anything on Kickstarter that you can get the crowd, you can, you can fund it, you, that you can access the crowd that likes that thing. Right. 
because if you look on, if you just go and explore, you'll find all sorts of projects yeah. that, that you would have thought to yourself, how is that possible? It is totally fun to just as, browse a website yeah, and window shop. As it long as you can is. find a crowd, as long as you can access that crowd and let them see what you're doing, you can fund anything on Kickstarter. Yeah, so for much of the, uh, the next, for the rest of this pro program, we're gonna be talking about what it's like to be on the side of the project owner. But let's spend a couple of minutes talking about uh, if someone's out there listening and they want to get get their uh, get some skin in the game and be a backer. To talk about briefly, what is the experience like from the backer side? When have you guys tackled that? Well, I mean, I that's where I started was from the backer side. Yeah, and I think all of us did probably, right? You know, I, yeah. I, I, somebody told me about Kickstarter. And I don't remember who, and and you know, I just basically started looking, and it was like really inventive stuff that I've never seen before. And whether whether it's like a three D printer. All the way down to you know exploding cats, which is a game. You know, it's just like a little bit of everything that you just you kind of look through, and uh, it's real easy because all you do is you pledge, and uh, if they haven't made their goal yet, which I've had a few that weren't successful, but I I like the idea and I said sure I'll you know give you twenty five dollars fifty dollars whatever, and um, you know if it is successful at the end of that term. It basically just charges the card that you you have on file, so it, it's quite easy. And then you just you get updates throughout since you're a backer or a supporter, and, and uh, it's pretty simple. So one thing that's a distinguishing feature, maybe Ade uh, or, or Matthew, you can take on this is this is definitely not like buying on Amazon. Uh, so can you guys talk about some of the differences of, of you know this is the day after Black Friday, so everyone's buying things online. Why is this different than an Amazon experience? No, it's, it's not the same thing. Amazon, as you walk in or you place an order, arrives at your doorsteps in one to two days. Yeah. This is a totally different process. And I would recommend anybody who's interested to actually back a project first to see how the process works on yes. that side. Because with Kickstarter, typically when you back a project, you're in the you're prior to production, in pre-production. So when the, when the creator gets the funds, then they actually go and make the project. And that's when you get it. So it could be anywhere from three, from let's say three months to years. It could be a long time. And I and I think in addition to Ade's, uh, it's a leap of faith in yes. some ways that you're going to pledge the money and you will receive the product. So in that way, it's definitely not like Amazon. But probably more importantly is that building of a community. So yeah. when you pledge your money, uh, you have a more tightly uh, developed bond between yourself and the people that are making this product. Because you get to learn many cases on the Kickstarter page, you get to learn about the creators, you get to learn about uh, in depth about who they are, how did they come up with this idea, and, and there's a bond that's developed between the backers. There's definitely uh, a, somewhat of an emotional connection between backer and yeah, project owner yeah. that you don't get in any other form of, I hesitate to call it retail, but any other form of buying things. And so it's a way to build community that's very powerful uh, and it's a way to build that relationship. Uh, and it's not just a transactional experience, it's, uh, it can be much more than that. And that's one of the powerful things about Kickstarter. Yeah, one more thing on, uh, on basically what is Kickstarter. Can someone uh, spend a minute or so talking about the all or none concept of, of uh, Kickstarter? How does that work to the, uh, to the untrained eye, someone that's not familiar okay, so, with Kickstarter? So there are different crowdfunding platforms. And with Kickstarter, when you pledge your money is not deducted until the campaign is over. Deducted from the, the buyer's no, credit card. From the buyer's credit card, yeah. from the account you pledge from, just like you mentioned earlier. Now, if the project does not hit its goal, let's say the project had a goal of $10,000. If the project got to 9999.999. No dice. No dice. 
which is or nice holders in the case of Eric. Yes. If <laughs> yeah. if the project does not achieve its goal, you are not charged. Yeah. So just to be clear, though, if someone out there is backing, they will enter their credit card into the website just as though they were purchasing it on Amazon or Walmart.com or whatever. But you're right. It will not actually. You will not see that on your bill until and if the project gets fully funded. Yes. But it will, at all intents and purposes, it will appear as though you're purchasing an item. You you look like you're getting your card charged, but it won't be charged. Yes. The charge won't go through. Yeah. If the project is not fully funded. That's right. Anyone else got anything more to add on the all or none phenomena? I mean, that kind of sums it up. Is if the if the project owner does not meet their goal, no obligation. You're the, you're under no obligation to pay. The owner is under no obligation to deliver. It's it's as though the transaction never occurred. Now, one of the things is that you were talking about the emotional part. Um, you know, it's more emotional when they haven't made their goal yet. You know, because yeah. you're actually helping them make their goal. Because I've done both. I've been on the other side where it's the last 48 hours. They've tripled their their goal, and you know you know you're getting it. You're just basically yeah. ordering like Amazon. It's just going to take a while to get the product. Yeah. Um, but the ones that really I don't know stuck with my heart were much more of the that is a cool idea. I'm going to help you get your dream fulfilled, and that's from a from a backer standpoint. And I really. I, you know, the people that started with me, and this is my first Kickstarter, but the ones who were at the very beginning, you know, uh, some of them I've gotten to know personally just because of the amount of... Yeah, and what I think you'll learn as well is if you do another Kickstarter sometime down the road is that many of those backers will follow you to the new thing. And to a point, almost regardless of what your new thing is, if they like your current product, uh, your current project, and they like the way you ran it, if you launch a new one... Uh, I mean, unless it's some obvious scam or something, which right. is like they won't be. But generally, whatever you... Try to, try to launch next time, many of your backers will follow you again because, hey, I got a good experience the first time. This guy's trying to be honest. You know, Maybe things happen along the way, but he's trying to be honest. They will follow you. So, yeah. so that is, a, you're, you're building a community, you're building some version of a cyber family or something or another, right? You're, so. you're absolutely correct. The word community is the strongest word you can use because when you start off with these people, they actually have a vested interest in you succeeding. Yeah. And there's an energy that they send to you because when you read the comments, like, we want you, if, if, if you get to the end and you're like struggling, like, they will actually rally up the crowds for you. Yes, Let's they will. go, and they will spread the word for you. They'll make sure. And once you cross over, if you keep up that level of enthusiasm and communication, they will hang with you through your future project, even if it's not something they're interested in. Yeah. So, so we've we've kind of covered there the basics of what is Kickstarter. Now let's dig into. Um, what it's actually like to start the process of, of launching one. So let's say that someone out there has come up with the next new hottest thing, whatever that thing may be, and they're getting grand ideas that, hey, I want to put this on Kickstarter. So let's walk through the process now. Of how do they, what, what's the first thing they do? And you mentioned something that was on my notes as well. Is I think the very first step is to go and back a project just to learn the process. Yes. So I think you go find something that it almost doesn't matter if you like it or not like it, preferably something you like, but back it for 20 bucks and wait around for a few weeks or a few months, let the project finish. Let it let the, the reward come in your mailbox. Learn how that works. Uh, what are some other things that they can do to get started as they're kind of warm up to the idea that their project might be on Kickstarter? I think it's also important to find similar projects that are currently being funded yeah. and to check the landscape of what they did and see how they presented the project. Look for ones that succeeded and ones that did not so you can actually have an idea of what to do and what not to do in terms of presentation. Yeah, anything else to add on that, guys? As well as, and I agree with you, that's one of the things I did is I looked at the, like, not competitors, but kind of in that same area. And then I saw what the market will bear. So how much will it bring in? Because you may have, you know, your goal may be $100,000, but if your widget 
and widget A, B, C, and D have only granted $10,000 on a Kickstarter, then you know that basically it, it helps you with knowing what the market will bear. Yeah, definitely. So, Research is important. One thing that, that we did with uh, the physometry puzzles is that when I had just a few prototypes made, and I, they were by no means for sale yet, I just made 10 or 15 different prototypes. And uh, me and some friends, we just sat at Starbucks one day, just sat down at a Starbucks table <laughs> and just started playing with them as though we were uh, just regular customers there. And, and these things kind of rattled around the table. People started drawing a crowd. And we literally would draw crowds in Starbucks with people wanting to play with these things. So I was like, hey, there's something here. Right. So similar idea with... Right, yeah, you do your background research and you yeah. find out what other projects are on Kickstarter. Uh, but really it comes back to that prototype, right? So you've yeah. got this prototype and that, and that research really helps to inform some of the characteristics around, you know, for us it's a hardware. Uh, it's not always hardware. It could be a book or a movie or, or something else. But you still need a body of work to show the public that says, hey, I'm really capable of doing this. This is our idea. Look what we've done. We've got, let's say, a prototype. Uh, and that research can help inform that prototype. But I think one of the most important things, and it, it was certainly for us, is to, to have a prototype that uh, says, hey, we're like 80% there, right? We're like 75, 80% there. That last 15, 20%, it's tough, right? It takes a lot of capital, it's very capital intensive, and that's why we need everyone's help. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've been doing first robotics for a number of years as well, and, and you're right. Building the prototype can be quick and easy. You make it out of the plywood or, or scrap metal or whatever, but to turn that into an actual usable, sellable product, that's a huge leap. Even though it maybe the prototype doesn't look much different than the final product, the effort to get there is huge. And so that's where Kickstarter can come in and it's like, yeah, I will put in this effort if I know there's 10,000 people that want this thing, this thing or are willing to back me. Yeah. But Just like you mentioned with uh, something to present, regardless yeah. of what field your, your project or product is in, the preparation is key. You have to have something to show that, hey, either A, I've done this before, or B, this is almost done and this is something you guys can actually see because people are visual. Yeah. You, you can write as many epistles as you want. If they can't see something to actually see that you're doing something, it's probably not going to get you there. Yeah, so all of the, these last several points have been made about, about maturing the thing. But now, once we've got a mature thing, what else do we have to do to prepare to hit the launch button on Kickstarter? So what are some of the other things, the, maybe the paperwork or the administrative things? Uh, someone kind of fill in the blank on those things. What yeah, we, we actually had a very interesting uh, situation on our first Kickstarter where uh, we were launching uh, at a live event. And that's one of the things I would highly recommend is to launch your Kickstarter at a live event. It's a great way to get press. You've got coverage there and, and tell everyone, hey, we launched Kickstarter today. People go check it out. They definitely will. And uh, we were planning to launch at South by Southwest, uh, a big uh, music and technology festival in Austin in 2013. And part of the process of developing not only your Kickstarter page, uh, but also you have to work with Amazon on the payment side, right? So all the payments go through uh, Amazon. And you have to get registered, you have to register your business at the time, and there's a lot of paperwork. And we were uh, fighting to get that done uh, up until like 8 o'clock in the morning of the very first <laughs> day of South by Southwest. We've got our, our prototype set there, and, and we're trying to get uh, the finalization on the payment uh, securing process uh, so that we could actually go live with our Kickstarter page. So wow. there is a bit of background uh, that you have to do not only to build your uh, Kickstarter page, but on the payment uh, back end as well. Yeah, so can you guys talk about uh, some of the content that went on your webpage? You, typically on a Kickstarter there's a video. Can you uh, talk well, about um, that process just, for you guys? How just, just before, to piggyback what he said, Okay. when you have your prototype, your actual physical 
gizmo or whatever it is, you have to know your numbers. Yeah, we're going to get into that, but okay. don't dig right in. I okay. mean, you, you have to yeah. know your numbers because you have to know what it's going to take to take you from prototype to finished product. Yes. You have to know the time frame. You, you, you have to have contingency plans mm -hmm. in case things go left. It is, <laughs> it is a quick way to get business 101 or 301. Yeah. <laughs> Some of this can get, uh, get kind of complex and you've really got to think ahead and try to think of everything and try to think of the things you can't think of. And it gets it gets hard. One of the nice things with uh, with Kickstarter is that, and and my Kickstarter was delayed over three months. So yeah, the live thing would have been great. <laughs> I would have been so screwed. Um, and what happens is is you can actually start building your Kickstarter, but not make it live. Yes. And so yeah. that really helped me because you can actually get collaborators. I can say, oh, Matthew, come look at my Kickstarter and tell me what was wrong. And people were like, you misspelled this, you did this, this doesn't look correct, uh, you forgot. And so I went back and fixed all the copy because it's important, in my opinion, to give a finished, polished uh, presentation because I've been on Kickstarters and I've decided not to back the project just because it's, it's got to look professional it, it's a little got bit, to right? Look yeah, it doesn't have to look like, you know, a $5,000 video, but yeah. at the same put time... Put some effort into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if the guy didn't even put the effort into, <laughs> you know, not misspelling the words and this, that, you know, I'm kind of like, what's my product going to look like? Yeah, a few minutes ago, off mic, uh, Matthew made a point that, that sometimes looking too professional can actually work against you a little bit. Talk, talk I think so as that. well, yeah. And that's some of the feedback that I've heard from others, is that uh, take your time and build a good prototype. Because even if your video is kind of crappy, people will be looking at what you built, right? It doesn't have to have all the right camera shots with mm -hmm. all the right lighting and all the transitions. You know, that doesn't have to be professional, right? Because they don't care about that as much as they care about seeing what's in the video. So they're going to focus on your product and what they see, and they're going to decide, is this to the level that I want it to be, that I have confidence, right? Is, is, are this, it's the same as the spelling. Is everything spell checked? You know, did someone take an extra minute to, you know, so I want to make sure that the money that I'm putting on the table is going to give me the quality of product that I expect. Yeah, the, the, the video on the uh, uh, Posometry Kickstarter, uh, certainly you can still go to the Kickstarter website and see it. 100% of that video was done on my iPhone that I still have. I, it was, I filmed on the iPhone. I, I use whatever the, the freebie video editing thing is built into the iPhones. I did it there. I, uh, there's a band I know out of Austin. Uh, give a shout out to Full Service over there. Uh, <laughs> they allowed me to use uh, an acoustic version of their song, Strings. So I put that as background music. Uh, and it was 100% done on my phone. I am not a video expert. So these things don't have to be done by some $3 million production studio. Do it in your house, take a few pictures, take a few videos, patch it together, um, make it look approximately professional, but it doesn't have to be the best looking thing you could see on HDTV. Just, just put it together, demonstrate your product, tell the story, and it's, that's generally good enough. You know, I, I, think, I think that's one of the amazing things about this platform. You don't have to be a super company in order to get your yeah. project live. Mm -hmm. The first one I did, my wife shot on an iPhone 4, and I was sitting backing up to the bookshelf, and we did... I. I did not realize how many takes you had to do to sound, <laughs> to sound fluent because oh. if, if you did it yourself, I'm not professional. And every time I'll get hung up, even though I had everything set up, yeah. I get hung up on the word, I'm like, oh, start again. But now, um, many, many years later, all our phones shoot in yeah. HD. Yeah, it's and easy. another thing you can do, which, which has made it easier, is you can go to companies that have a similar product line, see how they frame their video and uh, image assets 
and then try to copy it or not copy it, but make yours look the same. Yeah. I mean, they spend thousands of dollars, but if you have, you can get that kind of imagery because if that works for them, it could possibly work for you. Another uh, thing that I did on the uh, pathometry video is that I, just for whatever random reason, I'm totally comfortable behind a microphone, but not so much in front of a camera. Uh, and most Kickstarter videos are, they've got front and center as the project owner. For whatever reason, that just wasn't my stick, so I didn't do it. So my video doesn't have me at all in it. Uh, it's just got the product. And so I think rule of thumb, 90% of all videos should have the project owner in it, but don't let that stop you. Mine turned out to be perfectly successful without having my ugly mug in the, in I the picture. I would agree, though, that uh, when people are making that investment and you're building that community, they really want to see the team, right? Yeah. So if, if the Kickstarter has something about who is this company, right? It's the same thing I do when I go to a restaurant. I flip over the menu. Where's the story? I want to know the story. Yeah. And, and I want to understand where I'm at, right? So I think that's a powerful thing. I, I do uh, believe that if you have uh, information about the company and who are these people, uh, I think businesses tending to go more that way. We don't want the nameless, faceless, right? We want to understand where, where am I spending my money at, right? This is hard-earned money that I'm putting on the table, and I want to know these people. Yeah, that makes total sense, Lou. So well, trying to build some credibility on, on the company that's, that's trying to make the product. Well, actually, that's another reason why I like the flat platform. The only time I've, I've ever been in front was the first video. Since that time, I've always been behind the scenes. Yeah. I've never come up to the front. Now, you are gonna find it split down the center. There are folks who wanna know more about you, and, and they can get that kind of access through the comments and in the, in the landscape in the of, of in the buyer. Sure. And there are folks who just wanna say, does this work? So I've, I've only ever been in front of the camera once. Every other time I have been behind the scenes shooting, I've had somebody else there. I've never really been, you won't find me in front of the camera anymore. And it works both ways. I guess it also depends on the project, on the product as well. So, so if, and the product creator, if, if, if that's what you lean towards, by all means, go ahead. If yeah. you prefer to just showcase product, you can do that as well. So yeah. it, it, it affords you both ways. The, actually, the hybrid is probably, and the fact is, is go to Kickstarter, watch videos for two hours. That's going to give you everything from the guy in the garage that's standing in front and kind of showing his product and not really getting close-ups to, you know, almost professionally done. But what I really liked is the product, mainly the product, you know, it, like how it works, what is it. And then at the very end, he goes, hi, I'm Eric, and I did it, mm -hmm. you know, and they, they just do a quick little 30-second, and that hits both. And I think that's probably... If I redid it, I would do it that way. Yeah, yeah so that's definitely good to, to put content up there that helps build, you're trying to build a personality and credibility to the company. Let's break out of the program here for a few seconds to give a shout out to our sponsor, Puzzometry, the hardest puzzle you'll never solve. If you love working on challenging, unique, and beautiful mechanical puzzles, then you've just got to try Puzzometry. P-U-Z-Z-O-M-E-T-R-Y, Puzzometry.com. They have three different puzzles to choose from, and all are for sale at Puzzometry.com. Check it out. You'll be glad that you did. Puzzometry can also be found on Twitter and Facebook. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Lume Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation. Before we get back to the program, I want to let you know that you can find all of the episodes of the Lumen Innovation podcast on our webpage, lumenovation.com. That's L-U-M innovation.com, lumenovation.com. We are also on iTunes as well as soundcloud.com.
on the technical side of authoring a project, talk a little bit about how it works to enter your backer levels on the website. So that the backer levels is really the ultimate end product, right? When you're listing it, that's what people can click on and say, I want to support at this level. Can someone talk about what that, what is a backer level? What does it mean? How do you list them? How do you decide what they are? I can tell you a couple of things you shouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> that's important too. That yeah. No, I think uh, a couple of lessons we learned is that um, we, we had a product that started out around $3,000, $3,500 for an industrial 3D printer. And we, thought, well, we need to have the $5 level and the $10 and throw the t-shirt up there. And I think having the t-shirt up there was one of the things that took more time because you have something that has a size. Okay, now you have to email everyone and get their size. And so a t-shirt can be nice, but it causes a lot of extra work. So you but will find rewards like that. But you can yeah. have a reward that maybe it's a, a coffee mug that's more personalized or yeah. uh, has your logo or whatever on there. So I think there's some more neutral uh, types of rewards that you can have at the lower level if you want an entry level, friends and family just want to support you. Um, then, then, and think about that, and think about how much work is going to be to fulfill that order, and, and small things like having to, to email a, a thousand people yeah, and well, figure out what size they were. One of the themes that I, I hope we can kind of beat into the ears of the audience here is that everything we do, try to make it efficient because we have limited resources, whether that's our time or our dollars. And if you're shipping out T-shirts and you're not a T-shirt Kickstarter project, you're spending way tons of effort on things that are not your core product. So yeah, so we've got to try to be efficient. Um, what did you guys find as the sweet spot as, as the backer level dollar amount? Not the product, but what dollar amount do you, th do you guys think is really the, the happy sweet spot that everyone would be willing to click on? I, I started as low as uh, $15 and went up to $250. Okay. Uh, you know, and my average backer was about 125 Okay. So, but my main product was really the 125 level, so it was a little bit higher than that. But um, basically, that's where it was, and so that was my main product. It's like kind of like yours is um, the three D printer. If it started at uh, three thousand five hundred, you know, your average backer was you know three four thousand. Um, you're going to get a few people go with the smallest stuff, but in general, uh, back to the, a little bit about the rewards. What I tried to do is I simplified it as much as possible. Yeah. Because, you, I mean, I've been on Kickstarters that had twenty five thirty rewards. At that point, That's too much. You, you, yeah. you, you, you kind of tilt over. So if you you've know, got a big team, maybe you can do that. But as an individual, that's that's a bit yeah. much. And it even yeah. it even from a, um, a supporter standpoint, you kind of go. I mean, you, yeah. you know, you know the the rule: give them better, good, better, best. You know, and kind of go from there. And so, I think that also applies to this: is to keep it, you know, ten rewards at the most, or five rewards, and then the second wave another five. I mean, you had a fairly simple product list. You basically only had one or two versions of your product yeah, on each of your projects. That's from experience. I can merge yeah. both stories here. <laughs> yeah. I did a project called Captive a long time ago, and it was a small smartphone stand. It was about maybe um, $20. And I started off with, you get a thank you email for a dollar. You, yeah. yeah. you get this for $5. It was my first one. You get this for $10. And then as the project went along, I added more accessories to the to the smartphone holder because you could attach it to photographic accessories. So I got a slider and I got tripods and I got everything. And what I learned from that, which is a very hard lesson to learn, was UPS, USPS is not your friend. No. <laughs> because all those things add That's up in true. terms of weight and shipping cost. Yes. That's the one thing people overlook. So when you add all these things that people pledge for, shipping cost starts to add up. 
and also you have to get those from other third-party vendors yeah. and the quality their quality becomes your quality so yeah. if I'm sending this to you and they sent me bad quality you don't look at them you look at me yeah that's right so which yeah. is why if you notice my recent campaigns have one or two rewards I don't do the t-shirts I don't do the thank you envelopes I say thank you in each one and I keep it very simple yeah that's uh, I, I was aware of some of the I wasn't aware of all of them but I was aware of some of the shipping pitfalls and so the size of pisometry as it is now is based on what is most efficient and cheapest to ship. Exactly. Wow. So I, I was aware of that enough to where I wrapped that back into it. Now with a 3D printer, you kind of got what you got. There's no way you can really optimize that to make we it We love to go large, large right? right? Yeah. And we had our own set of problems. Right, so we're, we're shipping uh, an industrial machine that goes in freight. And, and we learned about the challenges of shipping freight around the world. Yeah. And uh, that has its own uh, lesson to be learned. And, and it kind of ties back to the pricing. We, we talked a little bit about pricing. And if you think you're too cheap, you really are. Uh, and don't do that because you have to figure in not only shipping, but if you're going to go international, uh, there's a lot of yes. challenges with shipping international that you may not be aware of. Yeah. And so to That's get true. yourself educated and to get the right people on board that can help you ship internationally, uh, that's something you have to think about before you start selling internationally. So there's a lot of moving parts in the process of, of having a company, uh, especially for people that are using this platform to do it for the very first time. So don't be afraid to build in a little bit more of a margin mm -hmm. in I your totally product agree. because I, it's yeah. better to sell fewer and, and get your uh, pledge level to be successfully funded campaign. Uh, than trying to knock it out of the park. The worst thing to do uh, is to raise $100,000 and lose something on every unit, right? Right. That That's a hard lesson deal. to make. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I, 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 my notes, I kind of rule of thumb is to add 10 or 15% in as, as just kind of bonus funding because you don't know what's going to happen. The, in, the, in the middle of one of my projects, the cost of postage went up in the middle of the project. Oh, yes. wow. And if I'd have done my homework, I should have known because they advertise those things a few months ahead of time. But I didn't know. And so adding a few dollars for the various backer levels helps take care of that. But but those things, you just you just don't know what's going to come up. And you, you got to, there's a there's a kind of a balance between being too greedy and asking for too much. But but you've got to add some kind well, of fluff you, in there to take care of those things. You also don't want to put yourself in a bad position. Yeah. I'll, I'll give an example. The prototype weight of a dock was 12 ounces package. 13 ounces, well, the magic cutoff. 13 ounces is the magic cutoff. The production piece yeah. came at 14 ounces. Oh, no. And that's before and, and that's, that's the package and all that. Oh, now, okay. now, the difference that makes is first class shipping is it's two dollars. Yeah. Priority shipping is $5.65 starting. I am well aware of the 13 ounce limit. <laughs> so, I, the puzzles. So, I know that one. <laughs> thankfully, we've been yep. increased to 15 ounces now, but I mean, that was a shocker. Because, yeah. you know, you, this, this, this little tiny things that you learn along the way, an ounce made it, a difference. It does. And that, that's the, like I said, the, the, the size of the posometry box and the package that it goes in is because I'm aware of that 13 ounce limit. <laughs> but I wasn't at first, right? Yes, that's, just, that's just something you got to learn, you got to do. Um, did you have any, any stories like that with your products, Eric? Uh, actually, I kind of cheated and I went to USPS and went flat rate and, you know, found the box that were, you know, and I said, okay, this box holds, yep, 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 okay. <laughs> if I did another one, it would, oh, okay. So that's how I did I did it off a of flat rate. It may be more or less, uh, depending on VAT and some other things. Yeah. That, that, but in general, I, I cheated and just did flat rate, and I have not gone through shipping yet. So yeah. I may I may have some things to say after. Yeah, that is, that's something that you should, if you're going to do a Kickstarter project, shipping is something you should not overlook. Absolutely, um, I've got also, that in bold letters on my it's, notes. It's not just a shipping, 
it's a process. For example, when we did the first one, we were at the we used to go at night to the post office to actually use a digital thing to do one by one by one by one. But now we use a product called Indicia or just use fulfillment from the factory. So those are things you need to put into your cost because every convenience in this mm -hmm. game costs money. I remember when I went to, when, when uh, the first posometry got funded and it was a one-man show, I was doing all of, all of myself, I spent in one week at the League City Post Office, I spent $2,100. <laughs> yeah. and, and I probably pissed off every one of those moments because I held up the line for three hours when I was there. Mm -hmm. And then I go home and get another truckload and I come back for three hours. And I learned that uh, they, they said, well, you should probably call ahead when you can bring another guy in just for your product. It's like, all right, I know that now. <laughs> but, I, but I didn't know that. Shipping so. is a big thing. Uh, there's a couple other uh, times that we realized that is um, when we ship this heavy product, uh, packaging matters a lot. Yes. So not only does it have to be safe because, um, you know, UPS and, and FedEx and DHL and everyone else will tell you that they don't drop your items and mm. throw them around. Yeah, yeah, that's do. just not true, right? They definitely do. So uh, you have no idea the amount of abuse your package will take. In fact, if you go to UPS or FedEx, they will test your packaging uh, as a free service. They'll put it through a destruction test and tell you if it's safe or not. So if, you're, if you have something a little heavier, a little bigger that you're worried about, you can go through that, it's a free service. Now, uh, so protect your product well, because when your customers receive that and in your community, how many unboxing videos? You mean that they love that, right? <laughs> yes, they so, absolutely so, love that. You know, they're like, oh yes. my gosh, my new my new puzzle, my new toy, whatever it is, they came in the mail, my new 3D printer, and they open it up and they're videoing it. So make sure your packaging looks nice, yeah. right? Spend a little bit of extra time. Uh, don't do like we did and, and go get used cardboard boxes, <laughs> right? You know, spend the money, get, you know, when you're first starting out, I know it's an extra expense, but if you want to do this long term and if you want to build a brand, uh, it starts uh, on day one. Yeah, and so, I wasn't yeah. aware that the, they provided the, uh, the testing, I but I, I well. wish I knew that. Every day. Yeah, yeah, a little side story on the, the puzzle process as I, as I learned how to ship those. There were very few of them at the very beginning, maybe my first dozen or two that I shipped out, I just literally put label, uh, address labels on the box that they come in and I mailed those out. Many of those got there just fine and the, the backers were happy with it. About 10% of those got mailed back and says, hey, these broke along the way. I was like, well, crap, okay. So I just mailed them new ones and all was happy. But then I was like, well, 10% is pretty big when I'm starting to mail out 2,000 of them, right? <laughs> yes. Mail out a couple dozen, big deal, but if you mail out 2,000, so I, well, now what? So I, then I had to go and buy padded envelopes. I stuffed them in padded envelopes, which is another 50 cents or whatever, whatever padded envelope costs. It adds so up. It does add up. But then I started, started mailing those out. And then it was a lot smaller percentage, but a non-zero amount still got broke. I was like, well, crap. So then I took one, um, a box that was had my puzzle in it and taped just like I would, and I literally started throwing it at my kitchen floor. Just throwing <laughs> it, it's like, can I throw it at the floor and make these things break? And I found that it was remarkably difficult to break them, but they did still break. So I'm like, what the hell is the post office doing to these things to make them break? So then I started double stuffing them in, in uh, padded, two padded envelopes inside each, each other. And then I'd only maybe get one or two broke out of the several hundred that I shipped. But I was like, well, one or two is still one or two more than I want. So it's like, well, what can I do next? But it's still, now I've already paid for two padded envelopes and the additional time to, to stuff them. And so I just took everything that I've mailed since then, I take a Sharpie, double padded envelope, and I take a Sharpie, a big red Sharpie on both sides, do not drop, do not drop, do not drop. And none have broken since then. So it's amazing that two, two padded envelopes, which was a two-step evolution, and then to just take a Sharpie and write, do not drop on it. And not a single one has broken since then. And now that I've said that, I'll get three of them returned next week. But, but you see, this, this, everything we've just said here highlights one important part of the process. You can't be afraid to fail. That's right. Because yeah. you will have failures and you learn from those and you get better. 
it's in four words we can tell you horror stories about shaking, but we've improved each process along the way. Absolutely. I'm getting scared. So we, we've, uh, we've checked off a lot of the boxes here that were on my it's list. Uh, uh, shipping is a, is a major pain. You've really got to do your homework on that. That's one of the big bullets I had, and you guys have covered that as well. We haven't yet talked about one of the really key things of uh, before you launch, and that's the social media blitz. You've really got to get the awareness out. You mentioned doing a live event, which always helps, but, but um, blasting out on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the other various social medias. Can you talk about some of the effort you guys have done prior to launch? I'm antisocial. That's all I have to say. Okay. No, I'm 50, and the <laughs> right. fact is, is that the first video I ever did was for Kickstarter. I mean, I didn't want to do it, and, and I got somebody else that, you know, was, and it didn't go through, so I ended up having to do it myself. But I had a lot of anxiety behind that video just to do it, but, you know, it's... it's <laughs> and it, that is a generational thing, right? So Yeah, so, so I mean, it's like, well, I have 125 friends. Okay, I don't really want to tell them about this. <laughs> none yeah, of them do what I do, so I, I need people that play D and D and RPG, and none of my old people do that. So it's kind of interesting. What I ended up doing is I ended up getting uh, people that YouTubers that had that audience. They were constantly putting out videos for D and D and those types of things. And I had them sponsor, or I sponsored one of their two of their shows to get in front of the right audience. Can you guys talk about some of the other social media aspects you've done? Yeah, I think I think social media is the way to go. Uh, some people will tell you that you need to hit the press in other ways, and I would say, and it depends on your product, right, and what market you're trying to reach. Uh, and that is a good thing about Kickstarter. There's huge variety uh, across the spectrum market. So there. I guess like a traditional press release would work for your product way more than mine, for instance. It did not. It oh, did okay. not. And that's okay. the that's the other thing we learned is that, uh, you know, we had lists and we blasted the press and everyone from the New York Times on down. And we the time spent there uh, had very little return for us. So I would say don't do that, but hit your traditional social media. Make sure you get out your friends and family in those these circles uh, that you can reach uh, people that have special interests. If it's a and d or a gamer or uh, if it's somebody that loves to have the right accessory for their cell phone that fits their lifestyle and does what you what they want it to do, uh, you need to reach those people and not traditional press. So and all of this is before launch, right? You're building some energy, building, building exactly, or even during the campaign while the campaign yeah, is live, right? Definitely. So, uh, yeah, so you have to keep that momentum going uh, before and during. One thing well. where I kind of allowed my engineer to come out, my inner engineer, uh, was prior to launching the first time that I went and did research on what is the best time of day and which day of the week is the best to launch a Kickstarter campaign. And so there's conflicting research, and probably if you try to look at it in an unbiased way, there's probably no correct answer. But there are several papers online you can read that says, hey, Tuesday at 10 o'clock a.m. Is, is the reason. And so so yes. that's something to think about. Is when, when, do you, when do you want it to start? When do you want it to launch and get the initial launch energy? When do you want it to end? You probably don't want it to end at 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to kind of think about those things and be aware of time zones and all that kind of stuff. So those are, those are a lot of ways to really nerd it to death. In, in addition to that uh, sense of timing, there's another sense of timing we haven't talked about, and I think it's super important, is your delivery, right? Yeah. So when are you going to deliver your product? And we are certified good at delivering late. So we've done two Kickstarter <laughs> campaigns. Officially certified and, for that. And one. we've done it late on both accounts. But in reality, if you look at uh, the percentage of Kickstarter campaigns that are not delivered on time, uh, you're looking at, especially in the hardware section, like 85% of them, right? Yes. So uh, knowing that upfront 85% of people deliver late, extend your delivery. 
give yourself yeah. extra time, and I think that's super, super important. So one other thing to mention that uh, I was aware of as well is that uh, I did mine in, uh, I think it was November, October, November of 2014, but I put in there and something to the effect of, quote, if, unless we are overwhelmingly successful, we will get these shipped out in time for, for Christmas. Christmas. I did the same thing. Yeah, so, so kind of keep aware not only the day of the week and the time, but also where in the calendar can you get these out by graduation gift time? Can you get them out for whatever? And so Christmas is a, is a, a big one, of course, too. You know, it's, um, I'm sorry, to piggyback on two things you said. As far as the so social media is so incredibly huge these days, you have to tap into I'm, I'm like you, I have probably about 200 friends on my Facebook, <laughs> and I'm hardly there. But the YouTube people who are in your space are a great asset to have. Yes. It's hard to get a hold of the top ones. I usually yeah. search for that's the, it, I search for the up and comers mm -hmm. and try to build with them. So as they build, we're building too. Also with Facebook ads these days, there are tutorials on YouTube about Facebook. It's something I would recommend you look at and try to get into yourself. They're also, the PL, the newsletter, avoid that. Because if, if, if you think about it this way, there's a thousand, thousands of people, that newsletter is probably gonna get on their desk and they have other things to do. They're not sitting there waiting for your newsletter to arrive. So that's probably not gonna work. And the PR agencies that charge you exorbitant amounts of money. It's hard to, hard and, to measure the return you get and for that. Take, but there's no guarantee on that. Yeah. I would say, when you start off, try to get, try to look at how Facebook ads work yourself use your own social media because if your friends post it don't ask them to donate <laughs> ask them to share yeah that's right yeah. because you ask them to donate they might disappear mm -hmm. <laughs> so ask them to share the information on their pages i've done uh, facebook ads both for the illuminovation podcast as well as posometry and uh, there's no question that facebook ad uh, ads drive traffic i do have questions about whether it drives revenue uh, of course there's no revenue on the podcast but but on puzzles there definitely is some revenue measurement but I'm, i have a hard time Corresponding, did those ad dollars actually work? Um, I, and I don't know. Did any, any of you guys have experience with that? Uh, well, actually, my survey that I'm, I'm doing now, and I'm starting to get information back, is that uh, one of them was Facebook. You know, so I could see it, where did you find me is basically yeah. the question. And and the Kickstarter used to track that in their statistics. They may still still do. It's still does. They do. Okay. It's it's. But at the same time, I think I have 50 percent of unknown. So, okay. I mean, you know, it's like, okay, that's not a good statistic, you know. Yeah. But I do agree with Facebook because you can actually segment your market down to, like, gadgets, mm -hmm. cell phone. I mean, you know, it's like everybody has these little communities and they have, like, you know. Yeah, they're ultra precise. 10,000 people. Yeah. I mean, you can get really precise and get in front of people that said, hey, I like 3D printing, blah, blah, you know, and I'm an industrial guy. You can, you yeah. can get in front of them. Well, with, with each new product, you learn something new. Like, this is the first project I'm doing where I'm actually involving Google Analytics there, which actually goes in-depth into where your traffic is coming from. And you can also add keywords when you send out your link for people to share. You can see how much traffic is coming through from that particular link. Yeah. So it's advanced in that aspect, but it's still, there's so, so many avenues you can go through that may not work for every single product. Just yeah. a matter of trying quickly. If it doesn't work, morph. So let's, uh, speaking of morph, let's kind of morph the discussion, and we've kind of already done that a little bit, but into what do we do during the campaign? So we talked a bit about uh, pre-launch, and then now let's say that we launched, now the project is running and it's live, and one of you guys is experiencing that right now with your project, still got five or six days left? It's got six days left. Six days. So wh what is, how does your life change during the process of the, <laughs> of the project being run that 
that it wasn't like when it was before you launched? How does how does that work? What's, what's you're new? giving birth to a baby, aren't you? It's exciting. Every minute, you refresh, refresh. Yeah. I never thought it'd be so much fun to hit the F5 button on a browser. That's right. But it's it's it is totally cool to watch the dollars build up and watch the backers build up. But but what are some of the administrative things okay. that you're doing during that process? One of the things is is my one of my good friends uh, told me you need to update. I'm like, what? You need to update. So. Yeah. I mean, you have to almost every day or every other day, and you have to have something. Hey, listen, we're almost to the goal. You, you just kind of you have to keep it, the the community engaged. Yeah, there, there is a, a lot. there is a formal part of the Kickstarter website that is called the Project Owners Updates, and uh, it's definitely important to do it probably at minimum once a week and probably twice a week is a more realistic minimum. How often did you do that with the printers? Uh, I, I would say at least once a week. And. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's very, very important to have that communication and that dialogue back and forth. You don't want it just to go silent. Um, you need to have more information all the time and know that, hey, again, it's about the people behind it, right? Yes. Are they, yeah. they going to be attentive knowing that so many Kickstarters uh, projects are, are delayed in the delivery? Uh, I want to know that I can have communication throughout the whole process starting at day one. One of the early uh, uh, superstars of Kickstarter, and you and I have backed it, uh, was PrinterBot, the, uh, one of the original 3D printers. And that guy got... I mean, I learned a lot by watching that process because I backed it, but he was overwhelmingly successful to a fault. I mean, he, he got so much funding, he was expecting to sell a few dozen, and he ends up, ends up selling a few thousand, and it completely overwhelmed him. But the thing that I still kind of admire that project for is because he came out and says, man, this week has been killer. Uh, we fell behind three different schedules, everything is overpriced, but man, we're still here and we're working at 3 a.m. His, his updates were really good, and they were usually negative. They, they sucked, but mm -hmm. but he was open and honest about it. And he, he went so far as to put a live feed video in yeah, his workshop absolutely. so that people could see work is getting done, well, right? Yeah. So as long as you're transparent, people yeah. will still believe in you, and they will be patient. But I remember even in one of the updates, he said that, it, you know, that this got so big that now I have to go rent a space that I did not anticipate doing. I was going to do it in my garage or my house, and now I've got a, a, a workshop out rented a strip mall thing. Uh, but it was it, having updates, even if it's bad news, is way good. And communication, communication. Absolutely. Communicate. You can't have too much communication. And I always try to answer each comment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's important. If, if your project has not gone ridiculously large, <laughs> then you have to yeah. answer it in groups. But I try to answer each comment because no matter how big your project is, towards the halfway mark, things slow down. Because you have people watching it, people seeing where it's at. If yeah. you as a creator are not involved at that point, then people start to fizzle away. So yeah. what I try to do is, so for example, this project we have, I've done maybe eight to 10 up updates now. I try to highlight a different feature of it, of the nice. dock as an update just to engage people. Okay, I think we're going to take a little break here and then we'll come right back in about a minute. To hear the continuation of this discussion, please check out part two of this series in the next episode of the Luminovation Podcast. I'm Jim Fox, and thank you for listening to the Luminovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live.